Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. Eric, where were you last week? Man, Man. I, I am sad. My streak is over. That was episode 44 last week, right? Mm-hmm. So Nick, Clayton has already missed. I, I, I've stopped counting how many yeah. times Clayton bails on us. because I have healthy boundaries and Sabbath and... Sabbath. Uh, no, I hey, went on vacation. Hey, everyone. We, re- we record. No, no, he's lying. Uh, so Nikki and I both had 44, 43 episode streak yep. going. Yep. I missed episode 44 mm-hmm. and actually got into the studio and you guys had started late. So technically I could have jumped in. But I didn't have I didn't have the heart to do it. So it, you were there in spirit. You were you were actually like lying on the ground over here. You were like I, you were like stretching out. I did. I ca- I got to the studio coming coming thinking that I had already missed it, but I didn't. So yeah. So congratulations, Nikki, on your streak. You now have the only. Oh, and Nikki is and, sitting. Oh my gosh, this she, is she has so controlled dis- the sound effects this week. This is very disorienting. <laughs> we are sitting at different places at the table, and Nikki is now at the sound effects panel. But I am, I am on a mission. I'm going to download a sound effects app for my iPad, <laughs> and I am going to have at least 50 sound effects ready to go in the next episode. So I'm bumming a little bit that the streak is over. Yeah, uh, it's all right. It's all right. But I did, I did bring Clayton. Some tea from my he garden. Did. That's true. He walked in yeah. with bags of herbs. You don't see this, but I, I'm I'm often drinking tea here, and so I, I have these suspicious bags. I, was, of, it, I mean, out of context, green, it looks kind of suspicious. Right, let's just say it. I brought Clayton little Ziploc bags full of stuff that looks like marijuana, <laughs> it's, but it's not. It's, not. it's, it's chamomile not. and lemon balm and peppermint that I grow in my backyard while I'm piddling in the yard. Oh. I also grow herbs and. I have I have one spot in my garden that is oregano's and basil's and cooking things, and then this year I decided to plant a whole other section that is tea things. Tea things. So peppermints and lemon balmy things and chamomile. If you want some, and I love tea. So if you want some tea, well. just hit Eric up and he'll walk you a baggie of herbs <laughs> in the church, I, I, and I, it I, may I, or I, may not look suspicious. <laughs> hey, we got a pastor at our church that delivers baggies of things to the people. <laughs> I, I did learn, I didn't know this when I planted chamomile, that when you use chamomile in tea, it's not the leaf, it's the actual flower. Hmm. So there's a little tea trivia for everybody. There did you, you did you know that, Miss Producer? She did know it. Mm. I, I of course she know. does. She just didn't know the definition of piddle. <laughs> I mean, neither did we, apparently. So, All right, well, we're going to jump into a passage from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and Clayton, you're going to tell us what yeah. we're looking at. So we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 17, just uh, one section here. It starts in verse 14. And this, let me give a little reminder of what Deuteronomy is, is doing in terms of context. Deuteronomy is Moses right on the edge of the promised land with all the people about to enter into their new home finally. And Moses is doing a recap saying, all right, we've been wandering around in the desert for a while. It's been a little bit since you, you know, we stood at the mountain and heard what God wanted for us. So I'm going to make sure you remember, and I'm going to highlight the things I think are going to be most important for you now that you're going into this new home of yours, if you really want to be faithful to God in this land that he's giving you. And so one of the questions that needs to be answered is, who's going to rule over this, this country? You know, like, 
Moses has been wandering around, but he's about to die, so who's going to be in charge? And what's unique about Israel is that their government, up until this point, has looked so different from every other nation around them. The other nations around them tend to have kings or emperors, one guy at the top, and so when Israel looks around and they say, well, who's in charge? And the answer is, God's in charge. They're, they're comparing themselves to other people saying, huh, I wonder, I wonder why we're different. And so uh, Moses here is going to address what happens when the people start to say, who should be in charge here? Um, and it gets, a, it gets a little interesting. So Eric, why don't you read it starting in verse 14? Sure. And before I start reading, I just want to say that this studio is blazing hot today. So if the sound goes out while I'm reading, it's because I passed out and need to rehydrate before I finish the reading. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. All right, let's just start with observations. What do you guys see here? It's a lot of like uh, historical context things that if you don't know, you might be like, well, what's, what's the big deal? Like, why must he not acquire great numbers of horses? Right? Like, why was that a big thing? And I, I think the, I think the issue there was, if they the part the, like the whole point about acquiring horses is you had to trade with other nations around you in order to get them, right? Or military or power. or military power, right? So it's like you've got a king who's going to have a bunch of horses and he's going to want to go to war with people, people, or he's going to like form alliances with other nations around them, and that was just not things that God wanted them to do. Or they didn't want their king to be like the crazy cat lady. <laughs> just too many pets. You, you, you want to come well. over and see all my horses? Look at all my horses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, if it, we we think of horses as like, well, you do this just to ride around because it's you know fun or maybe you know you know some kind of hobby you know for someone who can afford to have horses as a hobby. Um, but for them, this is like saying tanks. You know what I yeah. mean? Like we're like this is this is the military height of might. military might. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, unless you've got you know something you know, bigger, like a chariot, like horses are, are the best thing you got. You know what I mean? You put your, put your men on, on, on mounts. He says, when you, when you say, let us set a king over us, like all the nations around us. So he's saying, you're going to do this, but there doesn't seem to be an endorsement of it. And I, I, I struggle, I struggle with this text sometimes because later on, when the people of Israel say, let us assign a king, they're told this isn't a good idea. 
So this whole Deuteronomy 17, when you, when you assign a king, and here are some instructions on how to do it, but then later they're told assigning a king is not the best idea, it gets all very confusing. But uh, I guess we don't have to answer that right now. Uh, another, another observation I see is just a lot of things. It, it seems like a list of things to avoid if you want a good king. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, do, want, I, I do think on the should they have a king or not, it, the, the question is confusing enough that I actually had a graduate class <laughs> where they, this was the assignment. Everybody had to say, to look through the scripture and, and decide, like, make a case whether or not God wanted Israel to have a king. And it's, it's actually very, very complicated when you put it all, line it all up, because there's a lot of negative and a lot of positive. Because um, obviously, we ended up with a king, right? Like, we get kings later. And some of them are really great. And, uh, you know, not to spoil it or anything, but we end up with Jesus himself as a king. You know what I mean? We end up with a king on the throne. So Spoiler something, alert. something happened here. Um, one of the things that tends to come up with that is this phrase, like all the nations around us. This, like, this, this seems to be as much the issue of, like, what form of government do you have is not really the question. Uh, it's the, are you trying to mimic the kind of leadership that you have in your society based on what all the other nations around you do. And so the things that are even described here, getting a lot of horses, having a lot of wives, having a lot of gold, like those are the things all the other kings did because that was super impressive if you could have all of those things. So it's a certain kind of leader saying, we want one of those, you know, that, that, that's, that's as much where the problem is as, as anything else. And it would be in step then if they're told, so don't have a king that does these things your king is to be different, would, that would be completely in step with all of the coaching they've been receiving as we've read through the entire Pentateuch, right? We leave, especially in Numbers that we just, we just finished, where the Lord is trying to teach them how to be a differentiated people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's like if, if the other nations around them have safety and security and power and wealth because of the kings that they have, you know, like this picture of like, oh, well, that, that king has a mighty army or a lot of horses or a bunch of gold and silver, you know, um, if they go ahead and they have a king that's also that way, then it's like, okay, well, we have safety and security and power and wealth in those things. But God said, no, it's, you're, 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 you are supposed to be uh, reliant on me, not on all of those other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it shifts their sort of sense of like what keeps us safe mm-hmm. from God to, to this other guy. The other thing it does is it shifts the, the attitude the king has and the people have toward the king. So like you think about, the, these are this is the generation after the people who were in slavery in Egypt, but for generations before, they had a king <laughs> like this. It was Pharaoh. And so the, the like, he is elevated way above you and, and dominating and controlling your lives rather than being one of you, like a brother, you know what I mean? There's the, it's one of your fellow Israelites who's ruling over you in a way that's, that's not dominating over you. Um, and, and you don't see him as some sort of like divine, you know, almost supernatural kind of ruler. You, you see him has, as someone who's called by God, but still human. You know, there's, it, keeps, it keeps the egos in check in a lot of ways, and the hero worship in, in check in a lot of ways. So all the way up through verse 17, we see all of the things that the king should not do. Right? Don't, don't collect military might by increasing your number of horses. Don't take a lot of wives and don't accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Then it flips in verse 18 to here is what the king should do. And it is to keep a copy of the scroll of the law, 
to constantly be thinking about it, meditating on it, so that the king leads in a God-honoring way, and then the uh, not considering himself better than his fellow Israelites, which is what Clayton was just talking about, um, which my brain immediately then goes to like servant leadership, uh, the kinds of things we see modeled in Jesus, and then the kinds of things that New Testament leaders are coached towards, um, not being lovers of money, um, not lording it over people, but rather setting an example, uh, being humble, right? And so it is leadership as a form of serving people, not as a way to lord it over people or to consider yourself better than other people. I think it's interesting that he, he's, at, he's told to write it down for himself. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think like as a... I often remember like as a kid when I was studying different things, like sometimes I would just write down, I would take like a textbook or I would take something and I would write down word for word what it was that I was studying. And it was just this act of writing those words out and meditating on it in a different way other than just simply reading it that made it more profound to me, made it stick a little bit more. Um, and so I feel like that's really interesting. To, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law, and then he is to read it all the days of his life. Like, I, I feel like there's something, something significant about that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, when, when I was learning a language, my teacher said, make sure you don't get printed out uh, cards with all the, you know, the vocab words on it. Write your own because the actual writing of it is, is what helps you to learn it, you know? And so, but it, it's one, this is one of those things, like to actually be someone who's submitted to God, you've got to do the things that will internalize it. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that's obvious. You don't learn it once and suddenly you get it. It's our natural instinct, especially if someone's given authority or power, is to say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get the golds and the, you know, I'm going to have all of this, like, I'm going to increase my standing, but you need the constant reminder that actually God is king. Actually, you, you are human. You're a recipient of grace. You are, uh, you know, dependent on him. Like, you've got to hear it again and again and again and again. Get it inside you. Yeah, I read right past that. That didn't jump out to me at all, that he's supposed to write it for himself, which is normally the job of other people. Yeah. And you would expect, especially someone in the role of a king, to just hire someone to do it so you have your own copy. Yeah, I, had, I had a professor once in, in grad school. It was a, a First Corinthians class. And he made us handwrite the entire book of First oh Corinthians, gosh. which is lengthy. Um, and I, I can't remember, but it was the same logic. Yeah. If you're writing it, you're slowing down enough because your brain can move faster than your hand can write. So if you handwrite it, you're taking your time and your brain has more time to think about it and internalize it. It was a really great exercise. I hated the assignment on the front end. And really appreciated it on the back end, because by the time I was done handwriting the entire letter, letter of 1 Corinthians, it was like somehow I magically could just in my mind situate everything. Like I can tell you where mm -hmm. certain thoughts are and what comes first and what comes second. So yeah, that's a really, that's a really good observation. I would have read right past that, Nikki, which by the way is a reason that we model this. Yeah. When, when you have these conversations using the comma method in your community groups or your small group Bible study, other people see things that you don't see, and it really lends itself to wonderful Bible study and understanding the Scriptures more when you do this kind of thing with other believers. I, Eric, earlier you mentioned the connection to Jesus, and it, may, it actually made me think about the 
the requirements here. Now, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, all, all these are, you know, like the, you know, New Testament writers were making all of these connections, but it does strike me when it says, don't have a lot of horses, don't have a lot of wives, don't gather a lot of gold. Like when you look at Jesus, like literally look at Jesus and say, okay, what did, did, did he have a lot of wives? Actually, he had less than the average person in those days. You know what I mean? He had none. He was single. Uh, did he have a lot of gold? No. I mean, he, he walked around. He's like, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. And he's, other people are, you know, paying for his meals and stuff. Uh, does, does he uh, have a lot of horses? Now, obviously he wasn't a military leader, you know, like that was what they were expecting, but he was exactly not that. He deliberately said, we're not coming in with a violent revolution. Uh, but the one time when he got on an animal, it was specifically not a horse. Like when he rides in as a king, he's like, I'm picking the donkey. I'm picking the work animal, not the war animal. And I like, he's embodying this kind of king who can't, comes uh, to serve, not to be served, you know, not to lord it over others, but to lay down his life. Um, that's, that's incredible. All right, let's go to the M in comma, and let's talk about message. What message would you guys get out of this? Um, the, the message that was sticking out to me was that reliance on God is key. Um, instead of being like all of the other nations around them and having all of these things that would signify, you know, power and money and security and all that stuff, um, that reliance on God um, is, is the key thing that's sticking out to me. Leadership matters. And they are, be, they are given instructions because bad leaders lead to bad things and good leaders good lead to good things. Um, and I'm looking at the verse that says, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses, right? So my mind then jumps forward to the moment in Israel's history where they decide they do in fact want to appoint a king. And they pick based on all kinds of criteria but there was a king that the Lord had chosen, right? And because the Lord sees the inside of a man, not just looking at the outside of a man. So it all is, it's so fun to read this because I, I don't know why I never, until I sat at this table right now, I'd never really thought about the fact that Deuteronomy, <laughs> it sounds so dumb saying it out loud, <laughs> that Deuteronomy 17 comes before all these other things play out, yeah. right? Because we are reading the Bible here, there, and everywhere, right? We'll read the New Testament, we'll go back to the Old Testament. Uh, but it's really fun right now to think about the fact that they were given these specific instructions, and then to watch how it all plays out throughout history is very interesting. Yeah, I think uh, the message that uh, I jotted down here is that the kind of leader God wants is the one who chooses dependent service rather than earthly control. Uh, and and that, that, that contrasts both between dependence uh, and, and kind of being your own person and service rather than control over the, the, the people that you're leading um, is just so cri critical. But <laughs> Ferris, the, the playing out of this, the more, we, the more we think of examples of like where, where the, the not being like this or being like this made all the difference in how things turned out in the biblical story. And then you think of life stories where you're like, oh yeah, hang on a second. I've seen this play out, you know, um, is, is really incredible. Uh, let's let's uh, take some time for meditation here. Um, I'm going to read just a little section of this final paragraph. And uh, I want us, uh, as we do that, 
uh, to just zero in on any any uh, phrase in this sentence that jumps out at you and ponder that for the next 45 seconds, talking with God uh, about what that me- might mean for you. So I'm going to read from verse 19, and this is talking about uh, the, the copy of the, the, the Bible that the king has. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord as God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. All right, let's talk about A, application. How do we respond to this passage? Man, it's why pastors want people to read the Bible, <laughs> right? Like when you, If you go to church long enough, you're going to hear your pastor say two things over and over and over again. Read the Bible and develop your prayer life. And about the time you roll your eyes and get tired of hearing your pastor say that, you know what they're going to say again? You should read the Bible and develop your prayer life. Because how else are you going to learn to revere the Lord is God and follow carefully? And it is, in some ways, super simple, right? We're in the middle of a a year-long focus at Christ Community Church called Bible Every Day, where we are legit trying to get people to be daily Bible readers, which is why this podcast exists. We started this podcast because we are convinced that if if people will open that Bible every day, and read it and think about it, that it will be transformational. Yeah, and I think that connects right, too, with, uh, with the message, with, with my message, that reliance on God is key. It's like when you're in His Word and you're reading it day and night, you're meditating on it day and night, you're going to learn that your safety, your security, your purpose, all of these things come from Him. You, can, you can't find it in outside things or outside people, but everything, in every situation, there's something in His Word that you can rely on uh, to help you figure out who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do in, in every situation. I think as far as application, I'm thinking about the, the qualities of a leader that are described here, and it raises two questions, two application questions for me. One is what qualities do I think are going to make me a good leader? So a lot of times we've got all sorts of things that we think, this is what's going to make it so that, that my leadership is effective or good for people. And whatever, influ- whatever place you're leading, whether that's your family or your workplace or someplace else, uh, we ask the question, what, what do I need to have in order to lead well? And this answers the question in ways that are different from the first things on the list for a lot of, a lot of people. So to actually ask the question, what, what am I banking on for being a good leader? But then the other question is, what kind of leader am I looking for? And, or what am I looking for in my leaders? And a lot of times we have different things on the list than this. You know, we, we, we sometimes flip it and say, well, I'm not looking for someone who's, who's humble and, uh, you know, reading scripture and not, you know, making more for themselves. You're looking for the person who's like taking charge and, you know, being effective and all these sorts of things. And the image of leadership almost looks like the, the flip side of this. But then to say, no, actually, what kind of leader uh, do I want to follow? 
What's the one who's humble and who's listening to God and uh, putting others before themselves? So uh, that's an important application, no matter what situation we're in. And you have to get to know somebody to know if that's true or not. Yep. You know, it is. Unfortunately, especially in church world, if you're good at public speaking... You can convince a lot of people <laughs> a lot of, about a lot of things, and people have an imagined relationship with you and start to imagine just because of your prowess at public speaking, uh, they'll start to ascribe to you certain characteristics, or they want to believe the best about you, so they start to put you on a pedestal. And I, I always tell people, if, if someone regularly is on a stage preaching or teaching or is a public speaker pay very close attention to the distance between who they are on the stage and who they are in their regular ordinary life. And the larger the distance, the faster you should run away. I, you know, I, my kids know this. I tell my wife this because they see me every morning. They see me spend an hour or two, no exaggeration, in prayer and Bible study. That's how I start my day. And I always tell them, I don't think anybody would want to know me or be my friend if that wasn't true. <laughs> I would be a terrible human being. And just about the, the time I start to think too highly of myself and I read God's word, it just gives me a proper perspective on my life. And it does these two things at the same time. One is it makes me know that my life matters and that I'm made in the image of God and everything I do is important. And then at the same time, it reminds me that the universe, I'm not the center of the universe, and that I am but a bit player in God's big story, um, but my small part matters. And so it's doing these two things at the same time. It's humbling me and also motivating me to follow God and to give my very best that day. So we just want to say again, everybody, Bible every day. Open that Bible, read the Bible. Even if you don't feel like you're fully understanding what you're reading, there's nothing, there's no better way to start, end your day, have your lunch, have your coffee break than to open your Bible and read it every day. Good word. All right. Well, join us again next Monday for a new episode. We're going to dig into another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. And in the meantime, if you're not following along, now would be a good time to go check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading. You can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. And if you're a Twitter fan, you can find us there for additional Bible Savvy insights. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.